Everybody wants to know, are the Cincinnati Reds going to make a move at the deadline? There's a really good chance they might. We got an inside take coming up on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr. I'm a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan that has turned an addiction to this team and to information for you. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk some Reds with me. I encourage you, if you're listening, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs. Or if you're watching, make sure you drop a thought down in our comments section because I love talking Reds and I want to talk Reds with you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are your team every day. Thank you to all of our everydayers out there. Make sure you drop a line. Let us know that you're an everydayer in the comments section or hit us up on Twitter and let you, and let us know you're an everydayer. We appreciate everybody who is an everydayer. And today we've got a treat for you as Charlie Goldsmith from the Inquirer joins the show. We're going to talk about whether or not the Reds do make a move at the trade deadline. And he has a thought as to what that move might look like. Plus the draft turned out to bring a lot of interesting talent to this Reds team. We really dive into Rhett Louder and take a look at what kind of impact he could bring to the Reds very soon at the big league level. And could this be an extension for, mm, we'll take a look as to who that might be coming up on today's lockdown Reds. Thanks for joining us here. Let's jump into the conversation. All right, here with us today on this episode of Locked On Reds is Charlie Goldsmith, the man who knows everything about the Reds and really everything about Cincinnati sports. I mean, you're all over the place. You're doing Reds, you're doing Bengals. You've been following along with this Reds beat super closely this season. So I'm very happy to have you on board. The, the, the main question, the first question, everybody's talking about it. And I did an episode the other day with our Brewers guy, and we were talking about how this is a two team race in the NL Central. And most of the comments on it were, okay, are we going to trade for a starting pitcher or not? Is that, do you see that happening? Let, let's start with the bigger picture. Do you think the Reds make a move or do they stand pat? So the Reds have a history of when they have an obvious need and they're in contention of being buyers at the trade deadline. Look at what they did in 21 with the bullpen. In 2020, they added depth. They didn't, I don't believe they did anything in 13, but in 12, they went out and got Jonathan Broxton. This is what the track record suggests, especially when you have an obvious need like the Reds do it starting pitching right now. So what gets interesting to me, and you know, we can talk about the names and I'll pose this as a question is the best case for the Reds getting a top of the rotation pitcher. Is it getting someone to round out like, you know, a rotation to get you to the playoffs and then be a, a back of the playoff rotation starter. Or is it a tier below that? Maybe a guy who helps you fill some innings until green and Lodolo come back and then maybe move them to the bullpen. So I guess those are the three tiers. Obviously years of team control will be big in assessing those players value as well. Um, but there are only a certain amount of types of pitchers on the market. So that makes it interesting too. Yeah. I think that, you know, you start off with the, the top tier, the, the ACE level top of the rotation with multiple years of control. You look at a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez, who's had some injury issues this season. So I don't know if maybe the reds get him on an otherwise discounted deal. I don't know that discount would be the right word for it, but you, you look at some guys like that. You look at Dylan cease, you look at, um, Lucas Giolito, and then uh, the other one that really surprised me that there was a lot of people talking about was James Paxton. Now, I don't know if he's tier one. He might be more tier two. But kind of following along with that idea is that I wonder if there's not a level 
that the Reds just say it's too expensive. We're not going to go above this level. You know, if if uh, teams start calling on Noel V. Marte or Christian Encarnacion Strand or, or Chase Petty or something like that, I know that Nick Kroll has the has the quote of saying we're not in this to build a farm system we're in this to build a winner but do you think that there's a guy like that that they're like yeah we're not we're not really considering trading him I think that there's another Nick Kroll quote too that I think pairs up really well with that like this will sound you know the Reds have a lot to prove like Nick Kroll's trying to win a World Series and I don't think that's being talked about enough and now what does a World Series window look like for a timeline but Compare that to what the Reds did between 2019 and 2021 when they went all in on chasing an 83-win team. And the the plan all along has been chasing a World Series window. So, like, I don't know, you know, who, who's got a one-year deal? Blake Snell. Does he improve the Reds' World Series odds significantly? That would have to be this season, and that is the question and the debate you're going to have to answer. Does your chances of winning a World Series improve if you get Blake Snell versus the solid prospect you'd have to trade off? So, like, that is the calculus that obviously you go through as you assess the value of every pitcher. I do think, though, all along what we've been reminded by the front office is that the Reds do have higher internal expectations for what the longer you know window and upside looks like, especially with how much talent they've accumulated. I think there's that's something that's been lost a lot on folks with all the different, you know, quotes and comments that people like to mainline over the last two or three years. They like to say, well, the Reds don't care about winning. I, I believe that Bob Castellini wants to win. I believe that Phil Castellini wants to win. And, and this ownership, they wouldn't be in it if they didn't. It's just they've gone about it in a way that I think a lot of Reds fans watch the Steve Cohens of the world and say, well, why aren't we going about it that way? Although the Mets really aren't in the best of scenarios there where they're staying here into the all-star break. But I, I think when I look at some of the moves the Reds could make, I wonder, speaking of the Mets, about like a Max Scherzer, a guy on a one-year deal that they really could. I mean, there, there's a chance that they would have to pay an interesting prospect for that guy. But Max Scherzer would be very interesting. Move the needle immediately. I mean, not a person who covers baseball would look at that trade and say, the Reds are officially now a World Series. I mean, they would look at that and they would agree with that statement. I, I think about him. I also think about a guy like Lance Lynn. Lance mm -hmm. Lynn has shown that, you know, he he struggled the first half of this season but really started to right the ship around the All-Star break. And he's on an expiring contract on a team that could possibly eat that money. And this is kind of where I wonder a little bit, too, on guys with expiring deals that might be a lot of cash – if the team trading them doesn't want to eat that cash, Nick Cross said, I have the flexibility. Does that mean that the Reds would take on a contract like that? That is a question for ownership. Nick Crawl has been working <laughs> in the constraints of ownership payroll. And that's that's the the how 40 whatever million dollar question for Max Scherzer. That is the existential question. What is ownership's comfort level in doing what they haven't done in years? In investing in a team in a way that they haven't heck. Look, I know the Mets are bad, but look at what the Mets did the other day. They took on Chris Flexen's contract and added a solid reliever who, you know, may not might not save the Mets, but he helps them get better. Those are the types of things you can do. The Reds could use another relief pitcher right now. Like yes. those are the types of things you can do when you have money you're willing to spend. The Reds haven't been willing to spend money 
in that way that aggressively since the 2020 offseason, you know, when they got Castellanos and all those guys. So that's the question we don't have the answer to. That's probably the question, you know, knowing how these things work. That is the question and the conversation and the dialogue that Nick Crawl is going through with ownership right now. Like we've seen smaller examples when the Reds have signed guys over the last couple of years where not that they're pushing the payroll, but they're continuing it and pushing that dialogue and saying, let's get this guy in the building and, and pitching a plan to, go out and maybe spend a little more than ownership expected heading into the offseason. So, you know, if a guy like Lance Lynn or Max Scherzer, that would have to be a discussion on a much, much bigger scale. And a red team that's been operating with a low payroll recently would have to have a change of heart from ownership and make a massive jump in the other direction. I'd be intrigued to see that, especially with all the money that's coming off the books after this season. I mean, Hunter Green, the only guaranteed contract on the field past this year. Uh, kind of looking into the Charlie G crystal ball, what do you think happens? And and, and knowing that, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to say a specific name, but kind of the tiers we laid out, top tier, mid tier, and maybe like a back end of the rotation type dude, uh, what move do you see the Reds making? I see him getting a starter. Like not like a, not a second, third tier starter personally is what I would expect. I think that is the sweet spot of maintaining World Series window, pushing and sending a message of being competitive in 2023. And most importantly, where the market is at. Like, I know like we don't need to relitigate the Tyler Malley trade, but I like the name as a comparison. In an ideal world, I think the best type of pitcher for the Reds would be like someone on Tyler Malley's level with two or three more years on their contract. But that pitcher just doesn't quite exist on the market. There's no one really at that level who helps you win now and win later. So, you know, instead of going all in and going further into that, you know, Shane Bieber tier, I'd kind of scale back the other way and and help the 2023 win team probably rely a little bit more on Green and Lodolo and maybe get a, a, a bullpen arm as well, kind of one of those Michael Givens 2021 type trades for this year's Michael Givens, whoever that would be. Coming up, what's in an extension, and are the Reds more likely to operate like the Tampa Bay Rays or the Atlanta Braves? We talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Sleeper. Want a chance to win more money with less picks? Head to Sleeper, where you can win up to 100 times your money on just two or more fantasy baseball picks. Sleeper is now offering up to a 100 times payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like, like, you mean, Joey Votto, Jake Fraley, DJ Friel, just to name a few, and pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats, like home runs, strikeouts, hits, or maybe you think Ellie De La Cruz is going to get more steals. Probably going to happen. Get your picks right, and you could win big. Think Joey Votto is going to bang? Smash more on the homers. Think Ellie's going to run? Smash more on them steals. Entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It's that easy. They also have safe and fast withdrawals. So use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Again, that's promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit on Sleeper check out sleeper today 
Thanks, as always, for making Lockdown Reds your first listen every day. Every day is coming up tomorrow on the show. Steve will return, and we will tell you about the importance of this Brewers series coming up this week. I mean, obviously, facing the other team in the two-team race for the NL Central is super important. How can the Reds take advantage of that? Steve and I will dive into that on tomorrow's episode. And if you can't be at Great American Ballpark to watch this huge series, you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search the word Reds. All right, let's jump back into our conversation with Charlie Goldsmith as we look at extension candidates and how the Reds roster could be operated here in the future. I I like that, and I think that it kind of plays on the strengths of this team, and I keep thinking, like, it's either either going for a guy like that or standing pat and saying guys that are coming off of injury are going to be better than us overpaying for Shane Bieber's and Dylan Cease's and things like that. I, I do find this interesting, though, because kind of mentioning the, the guaranteed money that's coming off the books and Hunter Green having already signed his contract, it's it's evident to me that with how early they got him in his career to kind of you know buy out a few years of free agency and things like that, that doesn't seem like the only deal that the Reds are going to make. And I know there was quite a bit of talk about this earlier this season whenever he did sign this deal, but having had a couple of months now to kind of stew on it, watch some performances, see some guys get called up and see how they perform immediately, who is the next guy you think that gets that contract extension? It's a tough market to predict. You know, when Hunter Green signed his, we knew what we reported was they were talking to uh, Lodolo and Ashcraft. And since then, Lodolo hasn't really pitched and Ashcraft has had the ups and downs he's had this season. Um, so it's, it's a, who knows where we'll be two, three months from now. Um, I, you look at the young core, like, you know, Ellie De La Cruz is a Boris guy. India is a Boris guy. India said he hadn't talked to the Reds. Uh, I don't know. I can't report on what Ellie De La Cruz's contract talks have been with the Reds, but there is a track record for Boris clients. Um, that takes you to Matt McLean, a very interesting extension candidate. Uh, the Reds do want to build that way. That is what they want to do here. Um, have these young guys buy into the talent and the upside. Spencer Steer, obviously, you'd put into that camp as well. Um, guys who you are seeing how good they can be getting them locked up long-term. That is like the plan and the vision which is more likely to happen a Rays model of roster building or a braves model of roster building understanding the braves have a very large payroll that i'm not necessarily sure that the reds will ever eclipse 200 million unless you know inflation and all of that stuff happening down the road but as as far as this current economy looks like 200 million seems like a large payroll for a team that has said before like we will be competitive within our own means but do you see it more likely what the Braves are doing or more likely the Rays where it's like we got one or two guys on extended contracts and then we cycle through everybody else? It's a good question. I think we need more information. Like by the Rays, I assume what you mean is like trading ahead of schedule. Yes. Like I I think you'll see situations where the Reds consider that. I do think the preference is to keep the core together. I think if the Rays, if you give their front office a crystal ball, I think that's how they would rather do it too. It goes back to the back to our conversation earlier. What is ownership's comfort level in raising to pay, raising payroll to levels it hasn't been at? They have to answer those questions about who they want to be. They have to see if, you know, one, obviously the young talent that they haven't had this much of in a while, and two, the attendance and the viewership that they're getting that they haven't had in a while. Three, the TV contract, which is all this uncertainty. Like there's just all this information that you don't quite have yet. Um, ownership will have to make that decision. Hey, that's... That's going to be what shapes the next decade of Reds baseball. 
That's as important as it gets. And hey, this is the starting point very much of the conversations that are going to shape how aggressive the Reds are going to be willing to be. And kind of with that and looking into the future a little bit more, obviously the MLB draft just concluded. And the things that I have heard about really a majority of picks that the Reds have made in this in the 20 rounds that they had, the 21 total picks that they had, is move fast, quickly, get to major leagues quickly, guy that could help out the big league club here very soon. What is your overall takeaway with the draft, knowing that obviously, I mean, even the first round picks, there's just a small chance that they make a huge impact on the MLB side. But hearing what you have heard, how how do you view this draft? Yeah, I view, you know, especially, and I like Ted Floyd as well, but I view especially the Rhett Louder and the Stafora picks as like a best player available type of guy mm-hmm. um, who fit exactly the types of types of pitchers and position players that the organization is trying to build through and puts out Floyd in that camp as well. I know baseball America had him ranked a little lower than where the Reds picked him at, you know, in the second round, but he has the type of stuff that can put him in a similar campus louder as a guy with an elite pitch, just like louder has an elite changeup. Floyd has an elite fastball that can put him on a fast track. Um, the Reds have a model, uh, I guess you could say of, prior of uh you know skill sets they prioritize of types of players they target of the way they you know approach the draft math and the pools and all that stuff and it's worked out pretty well for them they have a pretty solid track record recently of getting the most out of their early picks as much as you can you know you'll you'll have some misses now and then but really since like 2017 uh 2016 they've done very well at that and i've been encouraged as i've I've learned more about these guys i can see exactly you know one why why they're good players and two like they remind me of different guys who like the Reds have developed these types of players before and they have a system they know works for these types of players that they can follow again one guy that really intrigued me and it's it's the buzzword that everybody loves to talk about when it comes to drafts or international prospects or things like this the Reds did sign or did did draft a two-way player kind of looking deep into the draft not necessarily a guy that's going to have a high upside but I mean even looking back to Hunter Green Hunter Green was considered a two-ray prospect whenever they picked him but very quickly they decided he was going to pitch over you know being a two-way player do you foresee that being something have you have you had a conversation with either Derek Johnson or um, on the hitting development side of things where they say yeah we would like to move forward with a possible two-way player or is it kind of as soon as they get into the system it's like all right let's figure out their strengths and then we'll cut out the other side yeah i talked to scouting director joe kateska about this yesterday and i asked pretty much that exact that exact same question and the first line of his answer was we'll see if we can get him signed we'll work really hard so i think that he also said earlier in you know our conversation that we're excited about a bunch of these guys. I don't know that we'll be able to sign them all. They got a lot of high school guys late in the draft. Well, you know, he's from Chippewa, which is a, a junior college. I think it's a tech, it's, a, it's where uh, Cam Collier went. Um, those guys have leverage. Um, he said they'll start him as an infielder because it's always easier to catch up as a pitcher. Um, but they're going to, you know, a, a big theme I hear always every year in the draft is you really don't know until you get him out to Arizona. And it happens every year where a guy just shows and you see him and he's in that setting. And then it's very, very clear which guys are going to pop and where they're going to pop. And, you know, if they sign him, I think it'd be that kind of situation for the Reds. 
it's really cool looking for it. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see, especially with Rhett Lauder. Like I'm, I'm getting a lot of Nick Lodolo vibes, like reading about him and seeing a lot of stuff. I think a lot of people expect him to begin the year in Dayton and maybe only pitch like two or three starts before being shut down. Is that kind of the sense that you got as well? I don't have a level yet. Um, the track record of guys they've drafted with this pipeline has been putting them at a level like that. Like I think of like, I think like just like talent, not talent level, but like experience level. He reminds me a lot of Matt McClain. He's played a lot at a very high level. So you can put him in at a high level early on in his career. Um, Louder is that type of guy. He very much knows how to pitch. Um, I don't think we've talked about this enough. Like we as a, a Reds media contingent, like the, not the guy they took him over, but the next college pitcher who went was Chase Dolander from Tennessee, mm-hmm. who I know is a guy the Reds took a very close look at. Over the course of the season, he was probably – he was – a lot of people said ahead of Paul Skeens entering the year, um, struggled, didn't have the same – like his slider just wasn't the same for strange reasons and no one quite knew what was going on. There's he, He's elite stuff, but there's going to be like a development process that has to go on with him to maximize that compared to a guy like Louder, who very much knows exactly what he wants to do and has great feel and great instincts and a great track record, unbelievable results this year, and has proven he has this stuff to shut down LSU's historic offense. So, like, Louder has all of that, which clearly is a big reason they valued him, even though Dolander probably has the more, you know, MLB the show-like stuff. That was something that surprised me. So I've seen Dolander really mock to them and in, in a lot of different mocks, whether it be Baseball America or Jim Kalis or something like that. So whenever they passed on him, although I think in most of those mocks, Rhett Louder was off the board too. So I'd have to go back and look. But um, that that was intriguing to me to see them get that pick. And and the, the thing that really it, it excites me the most about Rhett Louder is, you know, on the scouting scale of 20 to 80, his control was rated a 60. And I feel like... For the most part, we are used to hearing, ah, oh, guy's got stuff, but we just got to worry about the command. It's like, it sounds like he's got the command. We just got to make sure the stuff can follow along too. I'm not comparing him to Abbott because Abbott has his own like unique analytical things going on. But um, something that's very similar to Andrew Abbott is that they both were, not to call them late bloomers, but guys who really didn't pop out of high school who had to learn how to pitch first and who didn't have elite stuff early on, not that they don't now, and had to figure out the arts of the game before kind of the science of who they were as pitchers really caught up with that. And then they took off as pitchers. So um, like the Reds stressed every conversation I had about Rhett Louder, they're like, he's not just a pitchability guy, the stuff's there and he's being underrated about the electricity he brings to the table. But I do think that that kind of old school approach is the basis of the uh, scouting report on him. Going to add to the hair game, too. The hair game looks strong. In a Uh, season full of surprises, there are a couple that stand out above the rest. I'm going to get Charlie's take on that, and I'll give you my biggest surprise coming up next. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you about one of today's sponsors, and that is Bird Dogs. These are seriously the most comfortable pair of shorts I've ever worn. And as the months are really getting hot, I mean, heat has set. It's summertime. Man, and I want some good shorts to go with the summer. Bird Dogs is going to help you out with that because they fit amazingly. They're made with the kind of fabric that keeps you cool, keeps you dry, but it also looks good too. You can seriously go from the couch to the golf course to a night out all in the same pair of Bird Dogs. I do it all the time. In fact, I love going to Reds games in these because you can leave the ballpark and go out with your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, go out with your friends and still look good doing it because bird dogs make you look good. Really updated my wardrobe. Uh, My wife no longer has to pick up my clothes for me every so often. 
That happens. I know. Bird dogs will help you out. Plus, you're never going to want to take these things off. So comfortable. They work in every situation. And you can get this awesome Yeti-style tumbler to go with it. You want to keep your boys cold and you want to keep your drink cold with a Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler by going to birddogs.com slash MLB, or you can use the promo code LOCKEDONMLB to get a free Yeti-style tumbler with every purchase. Again, that's birddogs.com slash LOCKEDONMLB or promo code LOCKEDONMLB to get that free Yeti-style tumbler and get yourself some comfortable bird dogs. I swear, when you get these bird dogs, you're not going to want to take them off. I promise you. Make sure you're following the podcast on all your favorite social media apps. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs. You can follow Steve at S Offenbaker with two Fs. You can follow the show at Lockdown Reds. Also, join us on the Discord server. We've got a link down in uh, the description of this episode. We'd love to have you talking Reds all the time on the Lockdown Reds Discord server, so make sure you join in. And uh, always, as, as we're heading toward the weekend and we're getting back underway in the season, Remember that you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search the word Reds. All right, let's jump back into our conversation. We're going to finish up. We're going to look at uh, some big surprises. And I got a question about a favorite player that Charlie Goldsmith has covered so far being on the Reds' beat, and he actually gives me four. Uh, I, I know this. This season, and we're, we're here in the All-Star break getting ready for the weekend series of the of the half of the remaining six games against the Brewers, and there's just been so many surprises. I mean, the fact that the Reds are in first place at the All-Star break is a surprise in and of itself, but you talk about all of these guys that have come up and, and, and really, I mean, so far played well. I want to stress they, they're playing the longest years of their career, obviously, with the remainder of the season, however long it's going to last, but so far they've all looked very good. Who has been the biggest surprise for you? Um, I'm going to go Andrew Abbott specifically because yeah. like pitchers who are, who have pitched that little are supposed to be like in double a right now. People don't even talk about enough with Andrew Abbott that he was a reliever for most of his career at Virginia. He only had one full season as a starter. Then he gets drafted. Then he has last year with the reds. And now he's already up in the big leagues doing what he's doing. I know he kind of scuffled against the brewers, but he's the guy you feel best right now. Like with the active roster going through his turn of the rotation, his elite stuff his like the, when you really dig into the analytics, the rise on his fastball, his slider drops later than most, like the stuff, the way he just uses all four pitches and has very, you know, the ability to get them all over the strike zone and has a lot of confidence in using them in any counts. Like, all of that is what uh, like a 30-year-old pitcher is supposed to be doing. And for Ab to be doing this when the Reds needed it more than they needed anything else, uh, probably the biggest surprise because, again, like we've watched all Green and Lodolo and Ashcraft starts. You expect the ups and the downs and the development to be the big part of the journey. And Abbott has just arrived ready to uh, hit the ground running. I've mentioned, and I mentioned him earlier in the podcast, but shout out to Lindsey Crosby, our host of Lockdown MLB Prospects. He does a great job covering the minor leagues, covering the draft. Uh, there's really no better source there on the Lockdown Network than you can get than Lockdown MLB Prospects for guys coming up through the system. And I remember whenever you know he was making his meteoric rise, Andrew Rabbit, last season through the Reds rankings and other people starting to kind of take notice of him, the common 
theme was, well, he's from Virginia. Usually guys that pitch in Virginia don't develop in the major leagues because they don't really develop all that well in college. And, <laughs> and, and so there was a lot of surprise as to how he himself was able to pitch. So the fact that he is now in this conversation, and I say this, I don't say this lightly, and I know that you know, he still has plenty of pitching to do. It's been a small sample size, but I mean, would you say that even after Hunter Green and Nicoladolo come back, is Andrew Abbott game one starter of the playoffs? You know, the beauty is we'll get to see more starts before that. I do think <laughs> I do think that it's kind of been forgotten how good Hunter Green was. Like yes. he was one of the best pitchers in baseball for like that ever since like Casali started catching him. Like mm-hmm. So like Hunter Green's journey has been like, all right, the fastball, he throws one or whatever, but he had to develop all of these other things, you know, the consistency, being able to throw the slider for strikes, then the changeup, then the command, then maintaining velocity from start to start and all like 20 different things that we've covered at length. But then it circled all the way back around to, you got to the point where, okay, now you can really maximize the fastball. And I think he finally reached the point kind of in May where he was maximizing how much he could do with his fastball. His strikeout numbers were incredible. I'm very excited to see what Hunter looks like. He was pitching that well through a sore hip. Like that's how good Hunter Green was pitching before he got hurt. And again, looking forward to seeing what he does when he comes back. See, and now I wish that Steve was here to hear this because the man keeps trying to pick every other team or every other player on the team as a better pitcher than Hunter Green. But yes, Hunter Green, super talented, a very amazing dude. I'm I'm right there with you. Andrew Abbott has surprised the heck out of me. I mean, there's been a number of relief pitchers and relief pitching, relief pitching is a very fickle thing. I, I very much understand that. But like guys like Buck Farmer, and I know that Buck Farmer kind of really started to have trouble with fatigue there toward the end of the first half. But overall, his year has been absolutely amazing. A guy that came over to the Reds with no pomp and circumstance last year. He was a waiver claim that was just kind of like, all right, let's throw this guy out there. Let's see what happens. And he's been pretty good as a Red out of the bullpen. And looking at um, a guy like Ian Jabot, who continues to frustrate me at certain times and then continues to impress me at other times, whether it be, you know, sometimes he struggles with inherited runners, but then he can come in and really just wipe the slate clean with three straight strikeouts and get you out of an inning. And I think overall, this bullpen has been the biggest surprise for me because coming into the year, it's the same exact bullpen we saw last year that while the second half of the season started to show signs they could pitch like this for the most part was just a middling bullpen. And I think that they have been much better than even people like my favorite is whenever somebody from the bullpen blows a game and then they're just like, same old reds bullpen. It's like, guys, they've been pretty good this season. I I like your surprise answer better than mine. That's, that's really, really good. Like (laughs) in spring training, what we're, you know, what we're seeing and what we're hearing was, you know, after Alexis Diaz at one, two through like 12, you could put those in in any order and kind of shake it up and see who would become the opening day roster. Like even a Lucas Sims, like we hadn't seen Lucas Sims since the, the end of the 2021 season, like everybody. And I mean, everybody had a huge, like red star next to their name. The reds probably had to cross their fingers about every single guy in the bullpen for lack of track record or injury history or not elite stuff. And then they figure out that Alex Young should throw his change up more and then he becomes really consistent and does this. And then they figure out that, you know, Buck Farmer's fastball has never been as good as it has been or, or what they're doing with Fernando Cruz's splitter. Like these are not flashy pitches that had these guys owning big reputation setting into the year. Um, I like Daniel Duarte. Like, I think yes. he's underrated. Like just different guys like that who are just, 
like everyone belongs in the Reds bullpen right now. And I think that's, there's something to be said about that. And that's been a big part of their success. Yeah. We we're looking at the Reds going after a bullpen arm, this trade deadline, not because it lacks talent, but because these dudes are just worked to death. I mean, we need a little bit of respite. They need somebody that's a little bit more fresh, but, uh, I'm excited to see what they do there, but I'm kind of curious on your perspective of this because having get to cover the Reds now for a couple of years, and I mean, obviously last season there were 69 players that the Reds ran out there at some point in the season. You've seen a bunch of different call-ups so far this year. On your time on the beat, who's been your favorite player to cover? Favorite player to cover? Elaborate on that because I could answer that a bunch of different ways. Well, let's let's go with the uh, the most – the most loquacious, the guy that, you know, if you need something for a story, I'm going to this guy. So that guy. All right. So I'll give four answers to current. Okay. People. Um, the guy who I know can, I know Joey Votto is always going to give me the right answer. Whatever he's mm-hmm. going to say, it's going to, he's going to, if I ask him about the, not that I've done this, but if I ask him about uh, the value of currency in 1900, like I know Votto will, <laughs> will have that answer. And that's a, that's, I really, you know, respect that. That's incredible that he has such a wide database and, and knowledge. Um, the guy I like to pick the brain the most of is Jonathan India. Like, what would you see for, from this guy or this situation or approach this opportunity? Or he's a guy I've dug into a lot um, about his journey and his, um, you know, his mental approach and all that kind of stuff. He's fantastic. and one of the most introspective people I've talked to in this business. And then two former Reds, um, Kyle Farmer, also a guy who kind of between Votto and India, I could pick his brain on everything. I could ask him about the value of currency in 1900. Um, he had, he, he's just seen a lot been around a lot of different baseball people um, and incredibly what's the word? Like he just, it, it makes a lot of sense when he explains stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I will say though, maybe the smartest of all of them is Sean Doolittle. Um, an industry, uh, you know, another beat writer from another market said you could be writing a, a 10,000 word feature on the history of baseball. And the third quote would be a third graph would be a quote from Sean Doolittle because he would say something so interesting. And so, like, wow, I never considered that before. Like someone wrote a story about um, covering double plays and like Doolittle was featured throughout the story because he, he put it all so well. So uh, <laughs> those, those are four guys who definitely stand out. He's a guy I, I always look back and I know that he was a dude that very, very quickly kind of blew a bunch of games. And there was a lot of people that already thought they knew what they knew about him. And from everything else that I've heard, he is uh, the favorite player of our locked on MLB host, Sully, Absolutely love Sean Doolittle. I remember C. Trent talking about uh, Sean Doolittle's love of Star Wars, which I'm all about on that one. Uh, and, and I just really w- wish that he would have panned out a little bit better in his time here in Cincinnati. Sean walked up to me once and he goes, Charlie, I read a really cool, I read a really cool story on Fangraphs today. I thought you might like it. Here's the headline. <laughs> that is the only time in this, in, in this, in my career that a player has recommended an article to me that based on, you know, my interests and knowledge. And he was right. It was about, I think it was about like curveball spin rate and how that changed for, for different people. I, maybe when they went from the rotation to the bullpen or something very specific like that, that I was very interested in. And I, thank you, Sean, for that recommendation. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me ask you two quick questions and we'll get out of here. Um, first quick question. How many steals of home will Ellie De La Cruz have this year? I'm going to go three, three. I like yeah. it. I'll, I'll I, say I, eight more steals of third. 
I looked this up just earlier, so I cheated a little bit, but do you know who holds the all-time This blew my mind, by the way. Who holds the all-time record for steals of home? This might be cheating. I think I heard someone talking about this like on a TV broadcast. Was it Rod Carew? No, it's, it's so Ty Cobb, which oh, doesn't surprise, but 54. Wow. He's still home 50. Like, I think it was just a different game back then. So I think that that's like one of those records. I don't know that will ever be broken, but Elliot de la Cruz is going to do it enough that we're going to be like, Oh yeah, people, people can still do that. So that's, it's a lot of fun to see. And then last but not least, it's a big week coming up here soon. Oppenheimer or Barbie, which one you see in? I'm going to give a shout out to uh, the Spider-Man movie, which I really enjoyed recently. Oh, yes. That was um, I probably won't see either. Which one I would see? I guess the Oppenheimer one looks good, but I'm not a huge movie guy. But the Oppenheimer one, just be, I am a huge movie trailers guy, and I do mm. have to say that the Oppenheimer movie trailer kind of caught my attention a little more. Top tier right there. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan guy. So I whenever I first saw like the teaser like three years ago, because they always tease Christopher Nolan movies like a decade ahead of time, but uh was very excited about it. So I'm definitely I'm low key gonna see both, but of yeah, course, yeah. It's just because I'm a goofball and you know, consumers can do what they want. So hey. Uh Charlie, I appreciate you joining me today and, and talking some reds with us and uh we'll be following all your work on the inquiry. You got uh I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, especially with training camp coming up here soon. Uh, what's kind of like a big piece that's coming down the pipe. I don't think I have any, any, like anything massive in the work. I do have some ideas I want to do at the ballpark this week. So we'll see how those play out, but I do have, we'll, we'll see. We'll stay tuned. No, no Joe Burrow going to Jeff Ruby's again or anything like that. Thank Thank you for remembering that one. It's very, very <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good thing. Really appreciate having Charlie on the show. He's, he has great insight. If you're not following him on Twitter, kind of like his, his handle said, follow him at Charlie G underscore. Gives lots of great insight on the Reds each and every day. Also covers the Bengals as well. That's why I mentioned the Joe Burrow story. But uh, he's just everywhere. Charlie's awesome, so happy to have him. And make sure that uh, before we get out of here, make sure you remember that you can catch every pitch of the Reds' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search the word reds but that'll do it for us here today check us out tomorrow steve will be back and we'll get you ready for this brewer series and how the reds can take advantage of these next three games that's coming up on tomorrow's lockdown reds but thanks for making lockdown reds your first listen every single day hope you're subscribed on the youtube channel make sure you click that bell to get notified whenever we've got new content for you or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app as well and take us with you on the go That'll do it for us here today. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow because we are locked on Reds every single day.